Well, amen, that was a blessing. Let's open our Bibles, but don't stand just yet, to Matthew chapter 1. And then I'm going to challenge your dexterity, because I also want you to open to Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, and you'll see why in just a moment. It is a privilege to preach here once again, and very thankful for our church family and for Pastor giving the opportunity to preach this evening. I will say that if you're visiting from the local area, I hope that you'll come back again and hear our pastor preach, as I, I'm sure he'll be a blessing to you as he is to us. It's a blessing and a rare event to have my whole family here tonight, filling up a whole pew. Got family down from Seattle, and up from Texas, got three grandchildren in the nursery, amen? Two grandsons and a granddaughter. And it's a joy to have my parents here with us tonight. Wave, go ahead and wave at the church, folk. And thankful to have my parents here with us. My dad... He's looking good. He lost 36 pounds. I know that because since he arrived yesterday, he said that 36 times. <laughs> Every time he says it, he looks at me. <laughs> I've lost 36 pounds. I've lost 36 pounds. And I got to thinking about how many of my friends have lost a lot of weight this week or this year. I think about Brother Rocky's lost a lot of weight. Brother Ted lost a lot of weight, looking good. Brother Jet lost a lot of weight this year, and it has really motivated me. Uh, start of the year, I'm finding new friends. I, you know, I, I can't handle the negativity of all this loss. <laughs> Uh, but it is a joy to be here on, on Christmas Eve. I'm thankful for a church that doesn't cancel services for the holidays or any other reason, and certainly not on Christmas Eve when we ought to be celebrating the birth of our Savior. Before we get into the uh, message this evening, I do have a, I would like to talk to the kids for just a minute. And so I have a few kids' jokes, okay? These are the kind of jokes. When you call your grandma and grandpa this week, these are the kind of jokes you want to share with them, and I guarantee they will laugh, all right? So I'm not saying they're high-quality jokes, okay, adults, so lower your standard a little bit here. These are kids' jokes, all right? So why don't you ever see Santa in a hospital? <laughs> he has private elf care. What do you get when you cross a snowman with a vampire? Frostbite. All right, skipping that one. Last one, all right. Kids, knock, knock. Merry. Merry Christmas. Again, you got to lower your standards for these. I, I didn't say they were funny. I just said they're for kids. All right. All right, let's open our Bibles now to Matthew chapter 1. Let's stand together. I'm going to use four texts in our message this evening. And as we read through these tonight, I want you to notice that each of our texts will have two words repeated. Okay, so Matthew chapter number 1 and verse number 20. And I realize I'm not giving the context at this particular moment, just reading these verses, and we're going to come back into them during the message. But notice verse 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, 
For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. And you might leave your hangy-downy thing there. We're going to come back to Matthew 1 later in the message. Now, Luke chapter 1 and verse 13. <clears throat> Context here is the angel speaking to Zacharias. Verse 13, But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Now, verse number 30. The angel speaking to Mary. Verse 30 says, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Now chapter 2 and verse number 10, speaking now, the angel speaking to the angels, verse 10, excuse me, speaking to the shepherds, the angel speaking to the shepherds. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And I'm sure you've noticed the two words that occurred in each of these verses. Fear not. Fear not. And the title of my message tonight is simply this, Fear Not, the Christmas Gift of Peace. The Christmas Gift of Peace. Father, I thank you for our Savior. I thank you for Christmas. When we stop and we pay attention to what took place back in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, and of course, we know that's not the beginning or the end of the story. But help us just to focus in on what the, the angelic message was uh, in these four texts and how it applies to us today. If someone here is not saved, I pray that today would be the day when they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. For I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> we read our four texts tonight out of order, but simply to start in Matthew and then go to Luke. If you were to put them in proper chronological order, it would have been first the announcement to Zacharias concerning the birth of John the Baptist, then the announcement to Mary concerning the birth of Jesus, then the announcement to uh, Joseph concerning the birth of Jesus, and then finally the announcement to the shepherds concerning the birth of Jesus. And all of that takes place in 15 months, from the, from the first announcement to Zacharias concerning G John the Baptist to the announcement that the Christ has been born and is in Bethlehem. Fear not, Zacharias. Fear not, Mary. Fear not, Joseph. Fear not, shepherds. Peace with God is a gift. Peace with God is a gift. We did not earn it. And we do not, as sinners, deserve it. Peace with God is a gift given to us by His grace. And a gift, and I'm sure that all of the young folks here this morning, maybe some of us older folks, are thinking a lot about gifts tomorrow. But every gift is freely received but purchased by somebody else. And the Christmas gift of peace is free to us but purchased at great price as God gave His Son for us. We should understand that the Christmas story is neither the beginning nor the end of God's plan of reconciling sinners to Himself. It began before the foundation of the world. It began in the book of Genesis and, and was carried on through God's providence 
all through the entire story of the Old Testament and into the New Testament with the birth of the Savior, that little baby uh, laid in a manger there in Bethlehem, and then he does not remain a baby but grows into childhood and adulthood and perfect manhood, sinlessness, sinless perfection, so that he could go to a cross and die for the sins of the whole world and be buried and rise again. That is the plan of God's redemption and that would, that would provide peace with God for a world at enmity with God because of our sins. And so peace with God is a gift. It's a gift purchased at great price, but it's one that must be received by faith. To the anxious, the fearful, and the troubled soul tonight, God's message remains the same, and that is fear not. I want to take our text tonight. I have four texts, but just three main points. I, I'm going to consider each of these as a gift or a present, but one of them is a couple's gift. All right, one of these is going to be for Joseph and Mary together. You'll ever get couple's gifts? You know, it's, not, it's rarely a couple's gift. It says on the tag, to James and Amanda, but it's never a gun. It's never ammo. It's never fishing gear, car supplies. It's always towels, soap. But this is a couple's gift that truly is for both. And we'll get to that in just a minute. So number, number one from Luke chapter one, we're just going to take this in chronological order. My first point is this, that we find peace when we believe God's word. We find peace when we believe God's word, look again in Luke chapter one, if you're still there in verse number six, and let us uh, get into the context of what we read earlier uh, in the message about Zacharias. All right. So in verse number six, talking about Zacharias and Elizabeth, it says they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren and they were both now well stricken and in years. In other words, they were no longer expecting to have a child. They wanted to have children, but at this point they have given up hope of naturally having a child because they're too old in their estimation to have a child. Now, verse number eight, it says, It came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. So try to imagine in your mind the temple itself. Now the temple proper is actually just the one room. And then the temple complex has all the courtyards and buildings around it. But the temple itself is just one big rectangle divided by a veil into the, the holy place and the most holy place. Sometimes we call that the holy of holies. So you have one main room. You've got the, the holy place that has the candlestick. It has the, the table of showbread. And then it has the altar of incense. Then you have the veil. And beyond the veil is the most holy place. And that is, represents the holiness of God. God, the presence of God among his people. And so Zacharias's job at this point, his lot was, and by the way, only the priests could come into the temple. 
He's to come in with the incense, bring it to the golden altar, which if this is the veil, the golden altar would stand right in front of the veil, and he would lay that incense and burn that incense with fire off the, uh, off the brass altar out front where the sacrifices are offered. Now, on this altar, there's no animal sacrifices. The altar of incense only burns incense. And so he takes the fire from the courtyard, he brings it in, he, he lays it on this altar, he burns the incense, and from that comes a cloud of smoke up before the presence of God, before the, the veil that divides the holy and the most holy place. And that prayer, or that, excuse me, that incense represents the prayers of God's people going up before his throne. And that's why you have in verse 10, uh, you've got the people are out here praying and Zacharias is burning the incense. And so the incense is going up and the people are praying and their prayers are going up. And what do you think that they're praying for 50 years after Rome took over? They're praying for the Messiah. They're praying for a deliverer. I'm sure they're praying for other things as well, but I would say that as a people, their great heart desire in Luke chapter 1 is that God would send the Messiah, that God would send the deliverer, that God would send the one that would deliver them from Roman oppression and bondage. So, Zechariah, he's burning the incense, the smoke is going up, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in this cloud of incense, there's an angel. Can you picture that in your mind? I assume he's alone inside this. I mean, I, I think just one priest will come in and burn the incense. This cloud is coming up and all of a sudden out of that cloud comes this angelic being, this angel, the angel of the Lord, and begins t uh, talking to Zechariah. And it says in verse number 11 <clears throat> that the angel was standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And verse 12 says, when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell on him. Every time angels appear, people get scared. There's something obviously supernatural and terrifying about an angelic presence. And so he is afraid. He sees this angel. It's the angel of the Lord. It's Gabriel. We'll find out later. And uh, he is afraid. And, and, uh, and by the way, God has not spoken to man for 400 years. The last word from heaven at the end of Malachi was curse. Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. 400 years, not a word from heaven. Here is the first message from God to man in 400 years. From curse to fear not. Isn't that a blessing? From curse to to fear not. And so the angel says, let me find my place, verse 13, fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. By the way, uh, just a side note, I'm sure that they had prayed for many years to have a child, and now it seems like they've given up on that prayer because what's the point of praying when you're too old to have a child? But it's very encouraging to me to think that even though God has not answered my prayers, he has heard my prayers. By the way, that should be enough for us. But I, I think about it, maybe it's been 10 years since they prayed for a child, but now the angel shows up and says, remember the prayer you've been praying? Well, it was heard. Now you're going to have a child. And so sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no, sometimes God says later. We've got to trust God with the laters and the no's. 
Well, then he says, And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. So he's going to be named John. Not Zacharias Jr. It's not going to be Junior the Baptist. Amen. <laughs> no offense to anyone named Junior, but it just doesn't have the same ring. Junior the Baptist or John the Baptist? It's not going to be Zach the Baptist. It's going to be John the Baptist. By the way, that's, that's kind of funny because when John is born, his mother says his name is going to be John. And all of his family, all of his kin folks are like, no, no, it's got to be Zacharias. And I always read that and think, shouldn't mother have the right to name her child? But you had all the kin folks there trying to butt in on that and decide what the child should be named. And it wasn't settled until, until Zacharias, Zacharias wrote it down on the towel. I'm getting ahead of myself. I just enjoy this story so much. And so John the Baptist will be born and he will be the forerunner for the Messiah. Now here's where we get to the point for this, this thought. Verse number 18, and Zechariah said unto the angel, <clears throat> whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. Now, I don't know if angels get offended. I don't know if the angel just kind of looked at him like, I'm Gabriel. <laughs> I'm the same Gabriel that talked to Daniel. Remember that? I'm not saying that angels get offended, but I do think that Zacharias is wrong here. And he's expressing his doubt. Whereby shall I know this? Now, this is one place. By the way, some of you may be thinking, well, Mary says almost the same thing in the next chapter. Why, why does God punish Zacharias for this, but not for Mary? But that's why you have a precise Bible. Words mean things. Zacharias said, whereby? Mary says, how? Big difference. See, the word whereby means by what shall I know this? In other words, I need a further confirmation. Your word alone is not enough. Where, okay, you've given me the word, but whereby shall I? I need something else in addition to that. That's why the angel strikes him with dumbness for asking a dumb question. <laughs> When you're offering incense and the angel of the Lord appears there and announces something from God, you don't say, okay, but I need something else too. And so this lack of faith, this unwillingness to simply believe what God said, he wants more than God's word on it. And so Gabriel says, well, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord. I've brought you the word of the Lord because you have not believed it. You want a sign? Okay, here's your sign. You're not going to talk again for the whole pregnancy. Nine months. Zipped. Cannot talk. Now the scripture is silent on whether Elizabeth appreciated that or not. <laughs> but be that as it may, nine months. He cannot talk. He comes out and he's trying, no, he can't speak. He can't tell anyone what he has seen. And so the, in, in, in essence, he is handicapped because of his lack of faith. You say, well, if an angel appeared to me, I'd believe whatever he said. 
And yet God has given you something better than an angelic announcement. He's given you the inspired, preserved, inerrant, infallible, written down Word of God. And you say, well, if an angel told me to believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus. Well, this tells you to believe in Jesus. Why don't you believe in Jesus? Well, if an angel told me to do something, I would, I'd, I'd believe that. And yet when the Word of God given to us by the Spirit of God says something, we, don't, we, need, we need something else. Whereby, I need a little more confirmation than the simple Word of God. And yet, he, so he doubts, and where there is doubt, there is no peace. Leonard Ravenhill said, or wrote, One day some simple soul will pick up the Word of God read it, and believe it. Here we have the Word of God. What does the Bible say to, the, to us uh, about salvation? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. In other words, you don't have to die and go to hell. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Well, it can't be that easy. Good night, who said it was easy? For that, to be, for that to be possible, that means that God had to give His Son. That means that Jesus had to leave heaven's noonday to come to earth's midnight. That means that Jesus had to be born of a virgin, incarnate, taking upon Himself a body of flesh, to be born into poverty, to be born into this world, to live a sinless life where He never took a wrong step, never said a wrong word, never thought a wrong thought, never felt a wrong emotion, never did a wrong deed, lived a sinless life, went to an old rugged cross and died on a cross, that cross hanging there for six hours in agony as He offered His soul as a sacrifice for our sins until he gave up the ghost and died and was buried and rose again. No, I didn't say it was easy. The price was great. But what I am saying is, he's the one that did all of that. And now we just received the gift. Amen. I don't know what kind of gifts you got for your family this week, but I, every one of the, those gifts represents hours of your work, your time, your sweat, your labor so that you could have cash or have money to buy a gift, to present it to your loved ones. And they, can you imagine someone looking at that present saying, no, this is just too easy. <laughs> I can't just open it and it's mine. Well, why not? The price is paid. It's being offered in love. All you have to do is receive it and it's yours. It's the same with salvation. Amen. Well, if an angel spoke to me, you've got something better than an angel. You've got the Word of God. And so... Zacharias and his doubt. But, you know, there's more to that than just salvation. You know, we're saved, 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 but we still doubt, doubt, doubt. If living by faith was easy, everyone would do it. And the fact is, we still struggle with fear and anxiety and depression and discouragement. And we're full of cares and worries. And if we were honest... It traces itself back to, many times, some area of the Word of God we simply don't believe. I'm simply saying that peace comes when we believe God's Word. What if we just pick up the Word of God, read it, and believe it, and act accordingly? Secondly, peace comes when we submit to God's Word. Now, this is our couple's gift. This is going to be for Mary and Joseph. 
And uh, Luke tells us about Mary's reaction. And Matthew tells us about Joseph when he, when he discovers that Mary is pregnant. And uh, so if you're still in Luke chapter 1, verse 29, this was uh, when Gabriel appeared to Mary. <clears throat> it says, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And so verse 30 says, the angel said unto her, fear not, Mary. For thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Amen? Amen. That's the Christmas message. In verse 34, Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Now, this is totally different than what Zacharias said. Zacharias said, whereby shall I know this? Give me some extra evidence. How, give me something so I can believe this. Mary's like, all right, I'm in. How's this going to work? Totally different attitude. She's not saying that's not possible. She's saying, great, how's this going to work? More than happy to be the Messiah's mother. You guys uh, ever do anything dumb with your friends? And it's like your friend has a crazy idea. and You're like, I'm in. How are we going to do this? <laughs> Maybe not the best illustration, but I'm just pointing out that she's not asking in doubt. She just wants to know, she's curious at how. And as soon as the angel tells her, she says, in essence, amen. Totally different than demanding extra confirmation of what has been said. And so, in verse 35, the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And verse 38, And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed. Do you see the sweet submission? According to thy word. She believed it. And she submitted to it. Her understand, folks, her life is about to be turned upside down. She's espoused to Joseph. She's going to become pregnant. It's not going to be his. She's going to have to face ridicule. She's going to have to face questioning. She's going to have to face unbelief and mockery. How will Joseph respond to this? But at this moment of time, when the angels tells her what's going to take place and how it's going to take place, she simply says, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And she clung to that fear not. That fear not. Well, she's not the only one that needs this because in Matthew chapter 1, uh, Joseph had some questions too. Now, if you read into the story, you find that when Elizabeth became pregnant with John the Baptist... That, uh, excuse me, let me find Matthew here. Um, should have put my hangy downy thing there. When Elizabeth got pregnant, Mary went off to be with her, and she was with her for three months. When she comes back, by the way, folks, no internet, no FaceTiming. You've been gone for three months. She comes back three months pregnant. Question marks. Right? You left, you were not pregnant. You came back and you are pregnant, question marks. And Joseph knows it's not his. And so in verse number uh, 18, it says she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Verse 19, 
Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example. In other words, he had the legal right to publicly humiliate her for adultery if he had so chosen to do. And yet he, he was determined not to do that. He was, going to put her, he was just going to divorce in the, the marriage proceedings. Uh, in, in essence, would have been a divorce before they're actually married husband and wife living together. And so he's just going to put her away privately. And so verse 20, but while he thought on these things, you ever faced any big decisions? Every adult and most of the teenagers have, amen. You ever faced a, what seems to be a crisis situation? Things are never going to be the same. You ever had a doctor come back in and say, I've got bad news? Has your wife ever called you on the phone and said, I just went to the doctor, I've got bad news? Have you ever received any kind of news that just kind of shakes you and you've got to make a decision? And so you're sitting up perhaps late at night thinking on these things? That's what Joseph is doing. So verse 20 says, Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, and, uh, and uh, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now in verse number 20, uh, 23, I'm sorry, verse 24, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her first, by the way, do you notice how the Bible protects her firstborn son there? Not his, not there, her firstborn son, virgin birth. And uh, it says, and he called his name Jesus. So he's thinking about this. How do I face this? What do I do? I, I think I'm just going to put her away privately and, and wash my hands of this. I don't understand this. She's telling me one thing, but I don't see how that's possible. And so he's thinking about that. And the angel says, the Holy Ghost came upon her. She's going to bring forth a son. He's going to be the Messiah. You're to take her as your wife. And, and so when he wakes up from his sleep, what does he do? He submits to the word of God. Amen. Christians face life-changing decisions. Nothing will ever be the same after this. We mull them over. We think through every option. But do we get God involved? Do we pray? And then when God involves himself, now listen, God involves himself. I'm not expecting an angel to come in a dream at night. But sometimes God will involve himself by resisting us. God resisteth the proud, giveth grace unto the humble. Sometimes he resists us because we're going the wrong direction. Sometimes God speaks to us through a particular message or a challenge from the pulpit, a sermon that the Holy Spirit of God uses to challenge and correct us. And because God is involving himself, trying to change us, change our pathway from, uh, to keep us from making the wrong decision and help us to make the right decision. Can't tell you how many times in just the last three and a half years, I've, I've seen young people that, you know, they, they end up getting in trouble as young people tend to do. And then you think back and it's like, Man, the last few chapel sermons were right down that alley. And I think back, it's like, well, last Thursday, last Tuesday, that last week, I mean, that sermon, now looking back, seems like it was very preventative. How often we do not listen when God speaks to us 
He might speak to us through his word as we're reading. It might speak to us through a, a, a friend that challenges us, through a parent that challenges us. He might, uh, no, don't expect an angel to show up in a dream tonight, but God still might involve himself in your life when you're facing a decision and he's trying to keep you from going the wrong way. Amen. And the question is, are we going to respond with faith and submission or are we going to risk messing our lives up because we're stubborn, rebellious, selfish, resentful, arrogant, or just unconcerned? Peace comes when we submit to the word of God. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Joseph arose and did as he was told. We obey the word of God. As a couple, they submitted to the will of God together. Not the husband browbeating the wife till he got what he wanted. Not the wife manipulating the husband until she got what she wanted. But husband and wife submitting themselves to the will of God, the word of God and then acting accordingly. You think that couldn't fix some problems in some marriages? Thirdly, we find peace when we embrace God's Word and share it with others. I'm going to go back to Luke now, to Luke chapter 2. This is the story of the shepherds. And in verse number 8 it says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, I don't know if this is 100% true, but I have read some scholars that have speculated that these particular shepherds in Bethlehem were primarily responsible either as part of Levitical uh, structure or perhaps just subcontracting in a way for them to provide lambs for the daily sacrifice in the temple. Uh, I've read that in a couple of sources. Again, it's not in the Bible, so I'm not saying it's absolutely, but I, I do find it intriguing that what I read is that these, these shepherds are responsible for these newborn lambs to make sure that they're spotless and without blemish and without any damage so they can be offered. There's two everyday uh, sacrifice in the temple every day year round. And I have read that when a, a lamb was born, they would check that lamb for any blemishes or anything that would disqualify it. And they would even sometimes wrap it in swaddling clothes and lay it aside in this, this uh, stone tower that they had just to make sure that it didn't bruise itself or hurt itself, bouncing around and jumping around early on after birth. Now, I've, again, that's something that I've read and I find it interesting. Certainly fits in with me that when the Lamb of God is born, shepherds are going to come and see him and, and, uh, and understand that this is the Christ, the Son of God. And so they're given a fear not, and then they're allowed to go and see baby Jesus. Well, in verse number 16, it says, they came with haste. Let me ask you tonight, if, you're not, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you've never been born again, if you're not saved, why put it off another day? Why not get that settled Tonight, millions and millions of other people have already made that decision for Christ. Why not you? Why not receive Christ as your Savior? Why not come with haste? One time I was preaching at my church in Texas, and we weren't on a big platform. I think our platform had two or three steps, and uh, we had uh, just two rows of, of pews. 
And uh, one of our, our uh, bus girls, I think she was 11 or 12 years old, she was sitting over on this side, and she had just started riding one of our buses, and I gave the invitation, I raise your hand if you're not saved, I'd like to pray for you. And, and she raised her hand, and I said, all right, now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to pray in just a minute. And when I, you, you come on down, you want to get saved, you come on down and meet me at the front. And so I bowed my head in prayer, closed my eyes, and, and uh, said amen, and looked up, and she was standing next to me in the pulpit. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> she took it seriously. She walked right down, walked right up here, and I, it scared me. <laughs> you want to get saved, don't you? And uh, so here, go talk to Mrs. Raspberry. And I tell you, if I wasn't saved, I'd want to get it settled tonight. I don't want to perish. I want to have everlasting life. If I was sitting in the middle of the pew and there's people on either side, I would just say, excuse me, I need to go down to the front. And they'll very happily let you by. If I'm sitting on the end, you know, when the invitation starts, I just step out and walk on down. It's just a few feet, but it sure will make a difference in your life and eternity. If you're with someone and they brought you to church tonight, just say, hey, I'd like to get saved. Would you go down there with me? My brother's in heaven tonight because he came to church with us in Texas and the invitation was given. I just leaned over to him and said, do you want to get saved? He said, yes. Walked him down to the front. My pastor, Brother Miller, who's also now in heaven, knelt on the steps with him and led him to Christ. I wouldn't let anyone keep me from getting saved if I was really concerned about being saved. And, you know, we do everything we can to make it as easy as possible. But you know what? There's only so much we can do. At some point, you've got to say, you know what? I want to get saved and no one's going to stop me. I want to get it settled. And they came with haste and they got to embrace the Christ child. Now, this is not in the text, but I just can't imagine that these shepherds are looking at baby Jesus and nobody wants to hold him. That's what you do with new babies. That's about all they're good for. I mean, you just, I mean, don't get mad at me. And that's all the entertainment value there is really just holding them. And <laughs> I mean, if you're expecting them to run around and play, you got to wait a while. So I, I just picture these shepherds and, and perhaps even, you know, with their skills of dealing with lambs, perhaps they checked over baby Jesus, made sure that he was okay. Maybe they provided some medical care that we're not aware of. I don't know. But I do think that they beheld, and I think there's a good chance that they held baby Jesus. And I just want to say this, and I'm going to wrap this up. Don't just hear the Christmas story. Embrace the Christ of the Christmas story. Don't just stand from afar and say, oh, look at the lights and the angels and the stars and the trees and all the... No, why don't you come with haste to where he is and embrace the Christ who was born so that he might save you from your sins. And so we find peace when we embrace God's word. And then I, I have to say also that they just couldn't keep to themselves. They, after they had saw Jesus, they went forth and they, they, they told it abroad. And I, I tell you, there's great joy and great peace in being a witness and seeing other people come to know Christ as their Savior. And not just making it a Christmas story for once a year, but a message that is our message all year long. Amen. So have you embraced the message? Do you take God at His word or do you need something else? Will you simply believe what God says and act accordingly? Will you submit, as hard as that is for us to submit our pride, 
Will you submit to what God says and just do it? And trust that He knows what is best? And will you embrace the message and will you share it with others? Father, I pray tonight that you'd work in our hearts during this invitation time. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands this evening, Father, but I pray if someone here is not saved, that they would respond and just step out and come down the aisle, get a friend, get a family member, get somebody to come with them and just come on down the aisle and get it settled once and for all so they can know that they're saved. And then, Lord, if there's someone here that is saved, but struggling perhaps with faith or obedience to your word or submission to your word or your will, I pray that you'd help us to be more like Mary and Joseph. Submit ourselves to it. Surrender ourselves to whatever your word tells us to do. For ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.